Pittsburgh, New York, riverreporter.com, and from listener donations at wjffradio.org. Good evening and welcome to Let's Talk Vets. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. We are here for one reason, and that is to provide news, entertainment, and information of particular interest to area veterans, active service members, and their families. Well, tonight we're going to chat with Gavin Walters, a United States Air Force vet and manager of the new Joseph P. Dwyer Vet to Vet Office in Kingston about his experience. And, of course, we're going to talk a lot about Black History Month. But first, here are your military dates of note for February. February 3rd is for Chaplain's Day. February 4th is the birthday of the USO. The week of February 14th is a salute to veteran patients. The third Monday in February is President's Day, and, of course, February 18th is the Coast Guard Reserve birthday. Well, as we said, February is Black History Month, a month we set aside to celebrate the African-American community and the fearless individuals who have stood up against racial injustice and discrimination to do the right thing, often at their own peril in the fight for civil rights. Despite our declaration that all men are created equal, black Americans have historically been treated as second-class citizens. However, they always served with honor, courage, and distinction when called upon or allowed to go into harm's way to defend this country, only to return home to the same Racism, discrimination, and attitudes they left behind when they joined the U.S. military as their thanks from a grateful nation. African Americans have a very proud legacy of service. I think that's part of our history, part of our heritage. From Bunker Hill and the forts of South Carolina to the mountains of Afghanistan, African Americans have served with honor throughout our history. Black soldiers helped bring peace to the plains and defeat fascism in Europe. They charged up San Juan Hill, shot down Japanese Zeros at Pearl Harbor, and aimed for new heights at Tuskegee. By the end of the 20th century, an African American had risen to command the mightiest military force in the world. But African Americans have also had to fight for their right to defend their country and to receive fair and equal treatment in the military. It's a challenge, and if you succeed, you come out stronger. The legacy of their struggle and of their courageous service helped our nation realize its highest ideals of freedom. Because of the people who served, I'm able to sit here and talk to you right now and breathe this air of freedom. One of the first casualties of the War of Independence was Crispus Attucks, a black merchant seaman killed in the Boston Massacre of 1770. Slaves and free black men fought together in the Continental Army, but after the Revolution, African Americans were largely barred from serving. Some ignored the ban and fought valiantly in the War of 1812. Among the most famous black units of the Civil War was the 54th Massachusetts Regiment, whose heroic assault on Fort Wagner in South Carolina became legendary for the display of bravery against all odds. 
Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation prompted thousands of freed and escaped slaves to fight in the Union Army and Navy. Their brave efforts helped to defeat slavery and gain the vote for African Americans. After the war, the Army maintained a number of black units. In the West, they helped preserve order on the lawless frontier. Native Americans called them Buffalo Soldiers. Among their feats in the Spanish-American War, the all-black 10th Cavalry Regiment assaulted San Juan Hill. With America's entry into the First World War, heroic units of black soldiers included the 369th Infantry Regiment. Known as the Harlem Hellfighters, they served on the front lines longer than any other American unit. They also introduced the French to Le Jazz. A little over 20 years later, thousands of African Americans served courageously. During the bombing of Pearl Harbor, Dory Miller, an African American Navy steward, manned a machine gun to shoot down Japanese Zeros. African Americans continued to serve heroically during World War II, although in segregated units. Nonetheless, the barriers were slowly being broken. Black women were now able to enlist in the armed forces. And the number of black officers was increasing dramatically. Benjamin O. Davis Sr. had become the country's first African-American general in 1940. His son, future Air Force General Benjamin O. Davis Jr., commanded the 332nd Fighter Group, also known as the Tuskegee Airmen. The 332nd had a perfect record during the war. They never lost a bomber that they had under escort to a German fighter. Their outstanding performance helped to bring an end to segregation in the military. In 1948, President Truman issued an executive order directing the military to give all soldiers equal treatment and opportunity. There is no justifiable reason for discrimination because of ancestry or religion or race or color. By 1954, the Army had become the first major U.S. institution to integrate. A decade later, during the Vietnam War, blacks and whites made up an integrated fighting force. Joe Wynn is a veteran of the Vietnam era. Today, he works with two organizations as an advocate for business opportunities and minority rights for veterans. Joe remembers the early 1970s as a time of challenge and change. We were coming off of that period of the uh, late 60s, the Black Power Movement, Peace Movement. I would have to say there was racial tension, not only in Vietnam, but uh, in many of the bases stateside as well. We wanted more civil rights, uh, fair and equal opportunities. Same type of uh, individuals who are challenging you at home are challenging you in the military. After Vietnam, black men and women volunteered in large numbers, and African Americans were rising in the ranks. Samuel Gravely, first African American admiral in the U.S. Navy. Frank E. Peterson, Jr., first African American general in the Marines. Hazel Johnson Brown, first African American female general in the U.S. Army. General Colin Powell's appointment as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff marked a high point in an extraordinary legacy of service. In Operation Desert Storm, he led U.S. armed forces to one of the most impressive victories in military history. Today, African Americans continue to reach for new heights, like Captain Vernice Armour, who served in Operation Iraqi Freedom and became the first African American female combat pilot. My dad was in the military, my grandfather was in the military. I'm also standing on very, very strong shoulders from the people that came before me, black female pilots, the Tuskegee Airmen, you know, General Peterson, first black aviator in the Marine Corps. After 30 years as an Army nurse, Lucretia McClenney now serves as the director of the Center for Minority Veterans at VA. The center is an important resource that informs minority veterans and their families about VA programs, benefits, and services. Were it not for the men and women who paved the way, who endured grave injustices, racism, prejudice, discrimination, they fought for generations who would come after them so that we could serve with honor and distinction.
Throughout history, African Americans have valiantly answered the call to defend our country time and again. With courage and determination, they have overcome obstacles to advance the cause of freedom. Their legacy of exceptional service continues to earn the respect of a grateful nation. All members of the African-American community, they were also, first and foremost, Americans fighting for a country that did not always fight for them. We can learn something from their example. In times past, one of the most important troops on the field of battle was the flag-bearer. The job of flag-bearer was to make sure the flag was visible to the troops as a form of inspiration and, of course, to protect the flag at all costs. If the bearer was injured or killed, it was the sacred duty of nearby troops to pick up the flag and assume the duties of the fallen flag bearer. Now, many of these flag bearers were black and served with great bravery. George Clinton Rowe was an African-American minister, newspaper publisher in Charleston, South Carolina, and a poet. In his poem, The Reason Why, he writes an ode to a flag-bearer for the African descent regiments that fought in the Battle of Port Hudson. It is the eve of battle. The soldiers are in line. The roll of drum and bugle blast marshal that army fine. The hour is fraught with mystery. A hush pervades the throng. And each one thinks of home and friends and says at heart, How long? The colonel rides before the men, his thoughtful brow is bare. He calls the color sergeant and tenders to his care the nation's pride, the dear old flag, beloved red, white, and blue, and says with earnest tone and grave, I entrust this now to you. Yes, color bearer, Take in charge your country's flag today, and to the conflict bear it, the thickest of the fray. Bear it with lofty courage, and to it faithful be. This flag has inspired thousands and led to victory. Take it and never leave it, tis a solemn charge to thee. Bring back to me this banner, this ensign of the free. Colonel, the color sergeant said, holding the flag on high, I'll bring it back, or else report to God the reason why. Away to the front he bears it, cheered on by comrades brave, anxious to liberate his race, bring freedom to the slave. They charge upon Port Hudson, where sheltered by a wall, the foemen cut them down like grass. They bravely charge, but fall. Yes, on that field of battle where thousands unheeded to the tumult lie, he left the flag and reported to God the reason why. Another bears the flag aloft, holding it proud and high. But the sergeant has reported to God the reason why. O Christian soldier going forth to battle for the Lord, be filled with manly courage and proudly hear God's word. It is the standard of your king who rules the earth and sky. You must win through it the victory, or tell Christ the reason why. The war will soon be ended, in the dust you will lie. Go forth and conquer, or report to God the reason why. Another splendid example of fighting spirit and determination is the battle hymn of the 1st Arkansas Colored Regiment, as sung now by Tennessee Ernie Ford.
Oh, we're the bully soldiers of the first of Arkansas. We are fighting for the Union, we are fighting for the law. We can hit a rebel further than a white man ever saw as we go marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. We heard the proclamation, Master hush it as he will. The bird he sing it to us, hoppin' on the cotton hill. The possum up the gum tree, he couldn't keep it still as he went climbing on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. We have done with hoe and cotton. We have done with hoe and corn. We are colored Yankee soldiers, just as sure as you are born. When the master hears us yelling, they will think it's Gabriel's horn as we go marching on. Glory, glory, Brethren, you had better do it soon. Don't you hear the drum a drumming to the Yankee Doodle tune? We are with you now this morning. We'll be far away at noon as we go marching on. Glory, It's been nearly 250 years since a group of visionaries told King George III to take a hike. Somehow we've managed to survive despite all the challenges that we've faced. Like any family, we sometimes disagreed with each other, but if a stranger interceded, the U.S. family always stood united, right? Well, unfortunately, I'm not sure the phrase, united we stand, rings as true for me today as it used to. Today, much like in 1863, we are a nation divided, and we can simply dismiss this as the natural ebb and flow of elections and political discourse, or we can recognize the clear and present danger that exists. The Latin term divide et impera, or divide and conquer, is a means of gaining and maintaining power by breaking up large concentrations of power or influence into bite-sized pieces that individually have less power than those enacting law or implementing policy. I would add one word to that phrase, and that word is labeled. Because today, if you use the wrong word or express a thought which is contrary to the narrative du jour, you will surely be cut out of the herd, branded and quarantined in perpetuity, or at least until we can get you fired, convince people not to patronize your business or buy your product perhaps strip you of your college degree, and place you on a list of people thou shalt not hire. The January 6th assault on our capital was an assault on us all, and those who participated, regardless of their party, group, or cause, need to pay the price. But focusing on the symptom while ignoring the root cause is a huge mistake. There are millions of Americans who feel our elected officials have forgotten the promises they made to get elected. 
the double standard is indeed alive and well. So where is the outrage over the massive destruction caused by nationwide riots which damaged or destroyed thousands of businesses and the jobs they provided? Federal, state, and municipal properties injured or killed U.S. citizens while city and state officials ordered police to stand down and rejected the use of their National Guard or federal help. Could it be that Legitimate grievances brought forth in peaceful protest were co-opted by those with an ulterior agenda for political gain? Divide et impera. Well, it's time once again to stand united. Say no to those who want to divide us. No to politicians who simply want to label us, cancel us, or view us as monolithic groups tailor their promises to fit the concerns of a given demographic, and then give us just enough to keep us quiet. You know, let them eat cake. Now, the objective might be to protest the wrongful death of George Floyd or take and hold Hill 238, but the key ingredient to success is unity. Barack Obama said, quote, we the people recognize we have responsibilities as well as rights, that our destinies are bound together, that freedom which only asks what's in it for me is a freedom without commitment to others, a freedom without love or charity or duty or patriotism, is unworthy of our founding ideals and those who died in their defense. Look, we're all on the same march or in the same foxhole. Time to look beyond the soundbite and recognize there are forces at work that want to keep us off balance, that want to short the market of American spirit for political gain. Let's refuse to be labeled. Stand united. Stop fighting with each other and start fighting for each other as if our lives depended on it. Because you know what? They do. But a 
You're listening to Let's Talk Vets on Radio Catskill, WJFF, and I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Thanks for stopping by. Last June, the United States Air Force got a new boss, General C.Q. Brown. As the new chief of staff, he recorded this emotional message on social media, reflecting his thoughts about social justice, his life in the Air Force, his family, and the challenges we are faced with going forward. As the commander of Pacific Air Forces, a senior leader in our Air Force, and an African-American, many of you may be wondering what I'm thinking about. 
the current events surrounding the tragic death of George Floyd. Here's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about how full I am with emotion, not just for George Floyd, but the many African-Americans that have suffered the same fate as George Floyd. I'm thinking about protests in my country, tis in the sweet land of liberty, the equality expressed in our Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that I've sworn my adult life to support and defend. I'm thinking about a history of racial issues and my own experiences that didn't always sing of liberty and equality. I'm thinking about living in two worlds, each with their own perspective and views. I'm thinking about my sister and I being the only African-Americans in our entire elementary school and trying to fit in. I'm thinking about then going to a high school where roughly half the students were African-American and trying to fit in. I'm thinking about my Air Force career where I was often the only African-American in my squadron or as a senior officer, the only African-American in the room. I'm thinking about wearing the same flight suit with the same wings on my chest as my peers and then being questioned by another military member, are you a pilot? And thinking about how I sometimes felt my comments were perceived to represent the African-American perspective when it was just my perspective informed by being African-American. I'm thinking about some of the insensitive comments made without awareness by others. I'm thinking about being a captain at the O Club with my squadron and being told by other African-Americans that I wasn't black enough since I was spending more time with my squadron than with them. I'm thinking about my mentors and how I rarely I had a mentor that looked like me. I'm thinking about the sound advice that has led to my success. And even so, most of my mentors could not relate to my experience as an African-American. I'm thinking about the pressure I felt to perform error-free, especially for supervisors I perceived had expected less from me as an African-American. I think about having to represent by working twice as hard to prove their expectations and perceptions of African-Americans were invalid. I'm thinking about the airmen that have lived through similar experiences and feelings as mine or who were either consciously or unconsciously unfairly treated. Conversely, I'm thinking about the airmen who don't have a life similar to mine and don't have to navigate through two worlds. I'm thinking about how these airmen view racism, whether they don't see it as a problem since it doesn't happen to them or whether they're empathetic. I'm thinking about our two sons. Now we had to prepare them to live in two worlds. I'm thinking about the frank and emotional conversations my wife and I have had with them just this past week as we discussed the situations that have led to the protests around our country. Finally, I'm thinking about my historic nomination to be the first African-American to serve as the Air Force Chief of Staff. I'm thinking about the African-Americans that went before me to make this opportunity possible. I'm thinking about the immense expectations that come with this historic nomination, particularly through the lens of current events plaguing our nation. I'm thinking about how I may have fallen short in my career and will likely continue falling short living up to all those expectations. I'm thinking about how my nomination provides some hope, but also comes with a heavy burden. I can't fix centuries of racism in our country, nor can I fix decades of discrimination that may have impacted members of our Air Force. I'm thinking about how I can make improvements personally, professionally, and institutionally so that all airmen, both today and tomorrow, appreciate the value of diversity and can serve in an environment where they can reach their full potential. I'm thinking I don't have all the answers on how to create such an environment, whether here in PACAF or across our Air Force. I'm thinking about without clear-cut answers, I just want to have the wisdom and knowledge to lead during difficult times like these. I want the wisdom and knowledge to lead, participate in, and listen to necessary conversations on racism, diversity, and inclusion. I want the wisdom and knowledge to lead those willing to take committed and sustained action to make our Air Force better. That's what I'm thinking about. I wonder what you're thinking about. I want to hear what you're thinking about and how together we can make a difference. Our next guest, Gavin Walters, is a great example of our veteran community. He enlisted in the United States Air Force, however, while still in basic training at the all-inclusive resort, which is Lackland Air Force Base, in beautiful San Antonio, Texas, he sustained a reaction to a vaccine. Plagued by debilitating headaches and seizures, he was given a medical discharge, and it has only taken him 10 years or so to obtain some 
of the VA benefits that he earned. Despite all that, he continues to serve our veterans and today manages the new Ulster County Joseph P. DeWire Vet to Vet Peer Counseling Center in Kingston, New York. So welcome Gavin Walters back to his second appearance on we're going to have to get you a coffee cup with your name on it on Let's Talk Vets. <laughs> you know, I drink tea, but I'll I'll accept the coffee cup. <laughs> okay, so I'll get you a tea cup with your with your uh, name on it. How you doing, my friend? I am well. I am well, thank you. Good. Good. So, uh we wanted to talk we're going to do a variety of things today. It's Black History Month, so we want to Mm -hmm. cover a little bit of that and your experience in the military and we want to talk about joseph p dwyer vet to vet how that's Mm -hmm. going and a couple other things so when and where did you serve i served in san antonio united states air force okay and uh you were there when um i was there in 2003 and i exited in 2003 okay so you had some medical issues a little bit a little bit strange so tell us about that yeah, um, my uh, experience was pretty unique. I was medically discharged from the Air Force after, unfortunately, having one of the medications that they provided, which was TB. I took that, and um, since I was already vaccinated when I uh, when I was in Jamaica, the medication caused some adverse effects, which led me to have seizures and many many other things, such as headaches, that I still experience up to today. You still experience seizures today? Uh, yes, sir. The headaches are the ones that are more debilitating because it could happen any time where I just have to pause, just step away um, and try to just uh, control it. Because the seizures uh, come from the headaches. The headaches are the aura, which leads to the seizures. A fellow airman, I also had the distinction of serving in that garden spot, Lackland Air Force mm. Base, right? <laughs> Beautiful downtown yes. San Antonio. Oh, yeah. Great place if you're not in basic training. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry to hear that, that it didn't work out for you, but uh, you've stayed connected. You're still serving in one way or another, and February is Black History Month. And, yes, it is. And black Americans have been in every conflict. Uh, we're going to talk about that and a few other things in the show, but it's a proud history, especially when you consider that weren't always welcome yeah. and that the military was uh, segregated until President Truman signed Executive Order 99. 99- Eight one on July 26, 1948, calling for the desegregation of U.S. armed forces. And in doing that, he repudiated 170 years of officially sanctioned discrimination. You had a very limited time in the military, and um, mm-hmm. some of the folks that I've spoken to, African Americans, that were in the military have mentioned that although U.S. policy is clear, several of them indicated that there's still an undercurrent of racial discrimination in certain units. You were in there a short time, so you probably didn't experience that, right? No, I didn't. But um, I actually did meet a few uh, airmen when I was um, going through the process of um, leaving, and they did share their own experience of, uh, I'll say, having that shadow being overlooked at them and being a little cast to the side. So it, in 2003, it, yes, it was still happening. Well, it's kind of institutional you can't prove it but it's there right oh yeah it is absolutely mm-hmm. there and i definitely want to share something because you know when you mention history and there's those different things that we just don't even take notice of but i was reading the american legion paper they mentioned in 1945 the first battalion african-american women were sent overseas to during world war ii and they were called the Six Triple Eight, and their battalion was the Central Postal Directory Battalion, and their motto was "No Male, Low Morale." And that was actually pretty amazing. That's one of those things that you don't really hear about in history. And this was 1945, and you shared that in 1948. That's when President Truman signed that executive order. So you could just think about, wow, in 1945, the first battalion African American woman that went overseas went through a battle of their own just just training and then going overseas to you know accomplish a job or a mission that many didn't wasn't able to do and that was sort letters get it distributed to the military service members so their morale could be higher so they could win the war so that was a really big accomplishment and i just wanted to share that thank you it's a, a huge accomplishment and it definitely is a morale issue because uh 
you know, you might think, well, at first glance, well, it's kind of mundane, so they delivered letters, but it's a lot yeah. more than that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so the last time we spoke, you were, and I assume you still are, managing the new Joseph P. Dwyer Vet to Vet Peer Counseling Office in Kingston, huh? Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> now, for anybody that's not familiar with that, just run it down real quick for us. What it is, what do you do, and how is it working for veterans? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the Joseph B. Dwyer Vet to Vet Peer Support Program started about several years ago in Suffolk County, and it started in one place in 2000, uh, or I say 2021, it's in 25 counties. Last year, Sullivan and Ulster County became the 24th and 25th counties uh, to, to be recognized as, as a Dwyer program, and the Dwyer program is about peer support and peer relationship in the military community, and I believe everyone knows how peer relationship can go a long way with connecting with someone, um, helping them, advocating for them and push them through those different hurdles and struggles that they might experience. So the Dwyer program has accomplished that for many years. And as it continues to grow, especially in a pandemic when so much was happening, they added two additional programs. That just shows the significance of what the program is able to accomplish. Well, last we spoke, you were also waiting for some funding that was secured by former state Senator Metzger. Did the funding come through finally? Uh, so the funding has not arrived yet. We've been operating uh, based on donations and community support. And unfortunately, even though our program and many of the other pro uh, Dwyer programs haven't received their funding, um, we still have that challenge of trying to, you know, accomplish the mission of what we're, we've been trying to do. Well, and the other thing we, we talked about, and I'll, I'll put this under the heading of outreach, okay? <laughs> mm -hmm. <Yep. laughs> you and uh, I think it was 10 of you all together took a leisurely stroll to Albany right after yes. we spoke yes. to raise awareness of veterans' issues and veteran suicide. That was pretty remarkable. Run us through that stroll in the park, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I actually love talking about it because I always the, the walk was a representation of how the community could come out and help our military community. And the question I always posed, like, how do you tell a community, the military community, that they're not alone? How do you just sit down with somebody and say, you know, you're not alone. You will get the support. Well, the walk, which was in 22 hours, 56 miles, represented what we couldn't really say sometime where you say, hey, you know, you're not alone. Hey, does it support the police department? The Girl Scouts came out. Everybody through the walk, you know, was supported, was was being helped. The um, ambulance corps was there. So the representation of seeing the individuals that come out to help you along this strenuous physical, mental challenge it was just represented without you even saying, hey, you know, you could get the help from X, Y, and Z. But look, it's right there. That's how the representation of that walk, you know, was supposed to show the community. And it actually it absolutely did. And that's what we're going to do another walk this year. And I'll tell you, the Red Cross said that they will be present with us at all the 10 or 11 stops that we are going to have. So them being there is another avenue of saying, hey, you know, you're not alone. The community is out here willing to help you. The community is out here to willing to support you. The community wants you to be OK. The community wants to take care of you. The community wants to wants to see you excel and do better than, you know, than uh, what you think that you might not be able to do. That's uh, something you should probably film. That would be uh, remarkable. Why 22 hours? 22 is a representation of the the veterans that would commit suicide. And, that rep and the number was always 22. We know it, c it could be more. And it could be less because there's so many military service members that are, have not been counted when it comes to suicide because there's those dishonorable discharge veterans that don't get counted as a veteran. So I think that number could be more because we don't have the, the actual data of collecting every single veteran that has served. So the 22 represents the individuals or the community that um, continue to just take their life daily. One of the big factors is reintegration. Just under normal circumstances, if you're out in the military for any length of time or if you've been deployed for a, a long matter of time and then you come back to the States or back out of the military, back to civilian life, 
you come back often to a family that's out of necessity learned to get by without you and uh, certainly a world that has changed in a lot of ways. And being that the military only represents about 1% of the entire population, that's veterans yeah. and active military, there's a disconnect there between the uh, civilian population and the military they don't understand. And add to that PTS or a bad physical injury, and it's a, it can be a daunting issue just to come back and try to resume a quote-unquote normal life, right? Yeah, it is. I'll tell you, when I end up leaving the military, I so resented it because my goal was to do 20 years of service. And when I was discharged, I was discharged with basically saying, hey, go to your local VA and try to get your service connection, which actually took 10 years. So the depend on your discharge, it can leave you with resentment. It could just leave you with a bad taste depending on how you left and, you know, your experience as well. So there is that reintegration of like, how do you approach these individuals that uh, have that resentment or have that those negative feelings or just going through those experiences that sometimes skips what they deserve, like uh, benefits or anything that they've earned? Because there's so many individuals that will say, listen, the service connection, I don't want it because I don't deserve it or I could get a service connection. So those are the, you know, those are the things that, we have to try to talk to individuals about so, such as, you know, those service connections that they deserve and and knowing that their their service was worth it, you know, that that they mean something just because they, they didn't serve as much as their time. Or if they did serve and they had those disarmable discharge, you know, there are those individuals that had those disarmable discharge based because their sexual preference or uh, MST that they experienced and then they get discharged because some person that wanted to just get, we don't want to deal with it. So there's so many different layers and different things things that happen to the, our military community and reintegration is, you know, how do you reintegrate someone into a community that uh, that they have been so separated from because of their service? And when they come back, they're labeled as, OK, you got PTSD, you have these mental disorders, all these different things. So reintegration is, you know, an absolute important thing. And having, I'll say, the um, Hudson Valley Center for Veteran Re Reintegration, being able to just attack that by providing the kayak program, providing wilderness walk, providing uh, warrior riders, it has been tremendous because that is allowing another avenue for a military community to come and realize that, wow, you know, my life is worth it. I, I do deserve this. My life is important. And those are things that, you know, when you hear someone say, like, my life is worth it, then you realize that, wow, you know, this is the job that that makes it worthwhile to hear somebody saying that they want to live the next day, that they're not going to kill themselves. Well, the Joseph P. Dwyer Vet to Vet office in Kingston is co-located with the Hudson Valley Center for Veterans Reintegration. You guys, between you and Kevin Keevney, with uh, all the work that they do, and, and we're going to touch on his work in a minute so the folks understand, you guys have a tremendous opportunity to positively affect a vet who's having some issues trying to find their way back into civilian life. Let's talk to the Hudson Valley Center. You mentioned a couple of things, but go back a little bit and, and talk about the genesis of that and how that all came about and what they really do for vets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Kevin Keevney was a veteran that experienced his own trials and tribulations. And from that, uh, he built a kayak in his backyard, which developed into him work with other veterans to build a kayak of their own, which then in turn into the um, Hudson Valley Center for Van Integration, where they build kayaks as a way of um, having therapy without saying, this is what you're going to address, like PTSD, all these different things. There's no labels. It's just about veterans coming together and just working on a small project or working on something that help, helps them socially, helps them, their mental health just helps them overall. So the center, which is the short name for the um, Hudson Valley Center for Veteran Integration, it encompasses a lot. And I'll tell you, the Dwyer program, the peer support program, is definitely what uh, Hudson Valley Center has been doing with the peer support. It has been doing peer support for 
quite a number of years. And the Dwyer program added on to that is just a, another elevation of what um, the uh, center has been accomplishing. Well, one of the keys to um, reintegration, you mentioned the kayak program and what have you. One of my former interviews, a fellow by the name of John Galena, who's co-founder of Purple Heart Homes in Statesville, North Carolina, and they modify and or build homes for uh, vets who are disabled uh, so they can get around. He said to me, he said, one of the biggest questions that veterans with issues have is, what is my purpose now? And yeah. by doing something with your hands, and that's what Kevin Keebney related, he said he was, you know, he came home, he stayed in his room, he was just looking for an excuse to punch somebody, and he bought this kayak kit, and in, in working with his hands, he became more approachable and yeah. uh, eased up a little bit, and he decided that, that if it was good for him, it would work for others as well. So, I mean, you guys are doing a tremendous work for the veterans, and you may have had a short stay, but you're still, as far as I'm concerned, contributing in, in a great way, my friend. So, look, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, mm-hmm. what are the contact numbers? What's your website? Run down the list for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so our I usually always give up my cell phone, which is 845-288-1951. And our office number is 845-481-4004. And we just have our, we just set up our Twitter and Instagram because we're on Facebook and our Facebook is Vet to Vet of Ulster County. And we're always posting different things on our Facebook page. I'm now I'm posting weekly video updates just to let the community know what's happening with Dwyer program as well as what's happening in the community. And our uh, Twitter and Instagram page is uh, Vet to Vet of Ulster. Okay. And what's the address of that facility? Uh, yes, it's the address is 320 Enterprise Drive, Kingston, New York, and our uh, website is hvcvr.org. Gavin Walters, first of all, thank you for your service, and thank you for your time to support this program so that we can give other veterans and active service members information they may need and that helps them out. We, we thank you a lot. You're a friend of this program. And thank you so much for having me. As we continue to celebrate Black History Month, let's just take a moment to reflect on how far we've come as a nation and acknowledge the work that remains. Whether you're a veteran, a freedom fighter, or both, thank you for your service. We wish to acknowledge the following people and organizations that were included in this show. Gavin Walters, manager of the new Joseph P. DeWire Vet to Vet Peer Counseling Office in Kingston, New York, the U.S. Army Traveling Band for their rendition of Lift Every Voice and Sing, the Veterans Administration for their excellent audio history of African Americans' contributions to the military, and, of course, Jay Unger and Molly Mason for writing and performing The Beautiful Waltz, Ashokan Farewell. And remarks from General C.Q. Brown, Chief of Staff, United States Air Force. And, of course, to you for joining us for Let's Talk Vets. Please let your friends know about this program and share with us your comments and suggestions for future programs. You can email us at vets at wjffradio.org. You can leave us a voicemail at 845-431-6500. Well, until our next formation, I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg, thanks for listening, and thank you for your service. Company dismissed. We'll leave you tonight with a beautiful anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. It was originally written as a poem by educator James Weldon Johnson with music created by his brother John Rosemond Johnson in 1899. The lyrics to this were recited by 500 school children on February 12, 1900 in Jacksonville, Florida to commemorate President Abraham Lincoln's birthday. While composing, James Johnson struggled to write lyrics that spoke to the traumatic yet triumphant lives of his ancestors. Keep the faith. Good night.
Support for WJFF Radio Catskill comes from the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York, riverreporter.com, and from listener donations at wjffradio.org. Support comes from the Women's Health Center in Holmesdale, Hamlin, Waymart, Carbondale, and Lords Valley in Pennsylvania. Physicians and certified midwives who deliver. The Women's Health Center is a Wayne Memorial Community Health Center, wmh.org. WJFF Jeffersonville W233AH Monticello Radio Catskill keeping you connected with our new local public affairs show The Local Edition Online right now is Jay Quayton's president SUNY Solomon Weeknights at 6.30 A group of quilters has started sewing some supplies for healthcare workers at Wayne County Memorial Hospital who are running short on protective gear Join us for community news and interviews right after All Things Considered. On the phone, it's Josiah over at the fire station in Keshecton. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? The Local Edition, weeknights at 6.30. Support comes from the Law Office of John Ferrara in Monticello, providing legal services in the areas of matrimonial and family law and criminal defense. John.Ferrara557 at gmail.com. Support comes from... The Vintage House on Main Street, Jeffersonville, featuring eclectic furnishings, clothing, antiques, records, and books in a charming 19th century house. VintageHouseJville.com and on Instagram at VintageHouseJville. You're listening to the Retro Cocktail Hour. (laughs) 